Well, good morning. If you were to ask my wife about my food preferences and my lack of trying new things, she would say that I was a bit of a curmudgeon when it comes to trying new foods. I don't like to do it. I like what I like. I stay in my lane. I know what I enjoy to eat, and that's what I eat. The problem is I eat too much of it. Now, my wife, on the other hand, is quite adventurous when it comes to trying new foods, as adventurous as a vegan may be. But we'll go to the grocery store, and my wife will go through the aisles, and she'll be like, I've never tried this before. I think I will. My thought is, you're going to try it. You're going to take two bites. You're going to hate it and throw it away, and I'm not going to be happy. I can't tell you the number of times that's happened, but it has happened on numerous occasions. For example, when it comes to my own food preferences and eating the things that I like and not trying new foods, because I don't like to try new foods, I don't like to try new things. I'm, I'm not, like I said, not very adventuresome, not very adventurous when it comes to food. Um, when it comes to, I, I was at a friend's house, and they had, I, I have a confession. I hate cream cheese. I, man, that's even worse than first service. First, glad you guys didn't bring your pitchforks today. Goodness gracious. It's cream cheese. So I, I don't like cream cheese at all. Can't stand it. Totally disgusting. Hates cheesecake. Hates cheese. I know. I know. I'm moving to Russia next week. Uh, Goodness gracious, it's just cheesecake, my friends. So I hate cheesecake, and, and I hate cream cheese. I can taste cream cheese in anything. I mean, I know when cream cheese is in something. Well, I'm at a friend's house once, and they pull out this buffalo chicken dip. And they're like, you should try this. I'm like, I don't try new foods. And they're like, no, you should try it. I'm like, does it have cream cheese in it? And the answer I recall was, ah, I don't think so. Uh, not really sure, but I, I don't think it does. I'm like, okay. That's really good. Come to find out later, it did have cream cheese in it. <laughs> I was so mad, so frustrated. How dare you lie to me about the contents of this buffalo chicken dip. This delicious, yummy buffalo chicken dip. Like I said, I don't like to try new things. Don't like to try new foods. I have an aversion to being adventuresome. Let me tell you a story. I didn't tell, see, this is the, what you get for coming to second service. The first service didn't hear this one. Um, when we lived in Minnesota, uh, we lived in Minnesota for five years, five of the coldest years of my life. And uh, when we lived in Minnesota, we, lived on a, we had friends who lived on the lake there in Forest Lake, Minnesota, and we, um, they had a jet ski. And so, uh, like I said, my wife is much more adventuresome than I am. She tries new things, and I don't. And uh, they're like, you want to ride the jet ski? I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, that'd be fine. And so I get on the jet ski, and I'm putting along the lake. You know, I get back, and she's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, you were, open that thing up, go. And she jumps on. My wife is zipping across the lake at 70 miles an hour. She is fearless and adventuresome. And I'm like, well, I can't let her do that. And so I get on there. And I was a little bit heavier at the time. I got up to 60, you know, which was very, very adventuresome for me because I'm terrified of new stuff and terrified of new experiences and terrified of new foods, especially ones that create, you know, have cream cheese in them. But all that to say, when it comes to making changes in church and trying new things at church, churches tend to be, well, they tend to be like me and cream cheese. 
uh, it's, we don't like to try new stuff and we don't like to do new things and we don't like to try new methodologies and new events and stuff like that because we like what we like and we like it the way we like it. We are in love with our comfort and our security. And we want to stay in our lane and we want to want things and, 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 you know, the last seven words of the church. We've never done it that way before. How many times do you hear that at the church? We've never done it that way before. Or, well, we, we could ne- that would never work here. Or we can't do that. And, and so we settle. We settle for, for just uh, the same old, same old, the status quo when it comes to our churches. And, and we don't want to try new things. And we don't want to try to reach new people. We're very, very content with our little family and our little building and sitting in our little chairs that used to be pews, and why did we have to change those? And, and we just want it our way. We want Burger King Church. I want it my way. And, and, and we don't really want it any other way. We want it the way it's always been. And, and here's the problem is that if we want it the way it's always been, that we're going to reach the people we've always reached, and we're not going to reach new people. And the problem is, is that there are people out there who don't know Jesus yet, and we have got to tell them who Jesus is. And that means we have to try new things, and we have to try new methodologies, and we have to try new styles and new things, and that makes us uncomfortable. It makes us very, very apprehensive We don't like adventure when it comes to church. We want it to be safe, and we want it to be secure, and we want it to be comfortable. And so that's why we do what we do, and that's why we have it the way we have it. And that's why we say things. We've never done it that way before. And I want to encourage you today that as we look at the next parable in the book of Luke, to open your mind a little bit to new possibilities and new methodologies and things like car shows. I'm so excited about this today. It's going to be so cool. So if you've got your Bible, if you brought a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 5. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. You can grab one out of the chair in front of you. Uh, It's on page 728 of that Bible. And what we've been talking about this summer are parables. Now, parables are just short stories that Jesus told. And these short stories uh, reveal deep truths. And they reveal deep truths about God, about God's kingdom, about Jesus, about salvation, and about the church. And today's parables, there's two of them that we're going to look at, are about the church. Now, I want to set it up for you as far as where Jesus is at this time in his ministry, where Jesus is. And Jesus has just called, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 32, he's just called Matthew to follow him. Now, Matthew, his name was also Levi. Uh, Matthew was a tax collector. And tax collectors in, in Israel were hated. They were seen as traitorous. They were seen as treasonous. Uh, They worked for the Romans, and and the Jews hated the Romans, and and they worked for the Romans, and they extorted money out of their fellow Jews, and they cheated them. And so the the Jews hated tax collectors. They hated them, despised them. And here's Matthew, one of them. And Jesus comes along, and Jesus says, Matthew, I want you to follow me. And Matthew gets up, he leaves his tax collector's booth, and he starts to follow Jesus. Now, Matthew is so excited about following Jesus that he decides to throw a party for Jesus. How cool would that be? A Jesus party. So he has this party for Jesus. And now, 
Matthew invites all his friends. The problem is Matthew as a tax collector is an outcast. He's ostracized. He's despised and hated. Nobody wants to hang out with Matthew because he's a tax collector. So his only friends are other tax collectors and sinners, like the other outcasts, the others who have been ostracized, like prostitutes. And so these are the people who are going to hang out with Jesus at this party. And that's what happens. So Jesus goes to this party with all the tax collectors and sinners. And the self-righteous Pharisees are standing outside going, who is this guy and why does he eat with these horrible people? This is what Jesus says. In uh, verses 31 and 32. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a, a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus says, I didn't come for you self-righteous people. You who think you've got it all together. You think who are, you're so great, you're so high and mighty. You don't think you need me at all. I came for these folks, the sinners, the tax collectors, the outcasts, the ostracized. Those who know that they're far from God and they just want to get close to him. That's why Jesus came. And then we read... Uh, as we continue in, in chapter 5, we read these two parables that Jesus tells. So look at verses 33 through 35. They said to him, these are the self-righteous Pharisees and teachers of the law. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. A couple things. One, fasting and praying, these were signs of worship, and these were uh, signs of devout worship. If you were fasting in those days and not eating for a day or a couple days or a week, if, if you were fasting, it was seen as a very pious act of worship. And fasting was not commanded by the Old Testament, except for one day, and that was the Day of Atonement. They would fast on that day. There were other fasts that they could observe during the year, but the Pharisees fasted twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. They would fast every week, every Monday and Thursday. They didn't eat to show how religious they were and how pious and dedicated to God they were. So they fasted twice a week. Jesus didn't make his disciples fast, and they wanted to know why not. And Jesus, and basically fasting was a sign of mourning or it was a sign of uh, extreme um, reflection and worship of God. But it was a very mournful and sorrowful time when you fasted. And Jesus is saying, look, if you go to a wedding, you don't mourn and you don't sadly reflect on your life. You celebrate. And so he compares his coming into the world with that of a wedding feast. In those days, wedding feasts lasted seven days. That is a party. Seven-day wedding reception? Man, they partied like it was A.D. 99. I'm telling you. So, <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Felt good. Um, but yeah, they, they partied for seven days. And Jesus is saying, why would you fast? And why would you mourn? And why would you reflect so, uh, sorrowfully when we're having a party? My presence in the world is like bringing a, a party to earth. It's a celebration. You should be celebrating because I'm here. God in the flesh. I'm here. But he wasn't always going to be with them. In fact, Jesus was going to go to the cross, and he would die on the cross for our sins. He died on the cross for our forgiveness. And if you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you'll believe in him and repent from your sins, confess your faith and get baptized like our friend Jeff just did, 
God will wash away your sins. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He will purify you and make you whole, and you will be going to heaven. And that's awesome. So Jesus says, why would you mourn, and why would you weep, and why would you fast when we're having a party? And then he tells them two stories, two little stories about this concept. Uh, look at verse 36. He told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And he's talking about a seamstress who has two garments. One is brand new, and the other is old and ratty, and it's got holes in it. And the seamstress would not take a patch. She would not rip off a piece of the new garment in order to sew up the hole in the old garment. And the reason, there's a few reasons for this. One, you're going to ruin the new garment by tearing off a piece of it. Why would you do that? It's brand new. Then secondly, if you tear off the old one, tear the new one off and it hasn't been washed yet and you put it on an old garment uh, to sew it up, what happens is when you wash it and the fabric starts to shrink, it tears the old garment even more. And third, uh, when you do that, the new garment doesn't match the old one. And it looks silly. It looks goofy. It'd be like having a, a, a white pair of pants with a black patch on them. It just doesn't make any sense. It looks odd. So Jesus says, why would you ruin something new for the sake of fixing something old? There's a dichotomy there between the new and the old. And Jesus represents the new, and the way of the Pharisees represents the old. And then he tells them another parable. Look at verses 37 through 39. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. So what he's talking about, in those days what they would do is they would take the, the skin of goats and sheep they would take sheepskin and goatskin, usually from the neck of the animal, and they would sew it together really tightly, and they would pour wine in it. And if you ask me, that's really, really disgusting. Bottles are much better than goatskin. But what would happen is a new wineskin would very, be very elastic. Uh, it would be very supple. And so when you poured new wine into a new wineskin, it would expand as the wine fermented. And when the wine ferments, it gives off a gas, and it would allow the, the wineskin to uh, expand. Now, if you poured new wine into an old wineskin, old wineskins were very brittle and rigid. And if you poured old, new wine into an old wineskin, when that new wine began to ferment and expand, it would burst the wineskin. And therefore, you would not only lose the wineskin, but you would also lose all the wine. And then you would whine about your wine. So that was like, that's why you don't put new wine into an old wineskin. And, and so Jesus is telling them, and then Jesus says, and, and no one who's, who's drinking old wine wants the new. And, and this kind of goes back to me not wanting to try cream cheese. It's like, if you're very satisfied and very content with your old wine, why would you ever try the new? And he's basically saying that, look, uh, if you're just satisfied with the old ways of doing things, and if you're happy with the old ways of doing things, then why would you, and then you're not going to want to try the new. And Jesus was the new, and he was bringing a new method and a new message and a new hope and new grace to people. And, new, and, it was, and he's, he's the new wine. But nobody wants the, nobody wants the new wine if they're just satisfied and content with the old. Now, when it comes to the church, when it comes to what we do here at GFCC, I want to challenge you today. 
I want to challenge you to think about this idea of new versus old and embracing the new. Because let's face it, we don't like to embrace new things in the church. The church is one of the slowest moving institutions in all of humanity when it comes to embracing change, when it comes to embracing new things, when it comes to making changes. The church tends to move at the speed of a snail. Or even worse, the speed of a sloth. Did you know that sloths move so slowly that moss grows on them? I know some mossy churches. I've seen some mossy churches. I've been a part of some mossy churches. And when it comes to being a mossy, I don't want to be a mossy church. And so my question for you today is, how concerned are you for lost people? How concerned are you for people who don't know Jesus yet? Because if we keep doing the same things we've always done, if we're so committed to our traditions and our comfort and the things that we want, if we're so committed to those things, how committed are we to reaching new people? What, what do they say the definition of insanity is? It's uh, doing the same things over and over and over again and expecting different results. That if we keep doing the same things that we've always done, if we, keep, if we as a church keep doing the same things over and over again and expect new people to come in and expect new people to hear about Jesus and new people to give their lives to Him, if we expect, it's not going to happen. If a church refuses to change, if a church refuses to, to grow, it's, it's just not going to happen. And I believe that God is calling us as a church, our church, to continue the work of growth and change to reach people who don't know Jesus Christ. There are literally, literally tens of thousands of people outside of our war walls. Tens of thousands of people who don't know that God loves them. There are tens of thousands of people who don't know that Jesus died for them. There are tens of thousands of people who would, uh, if they were to die today, they would not go to heaven. And that's not me standing in judgment over them. That, that's me just sharing the truth that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not going to heaven. And that's what Jesus said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father who is in heaven except through me. It is only through Jesus Christ that you can be saved. And there are people who don't know that. And we need to commit ourselves as a church to doing whatever it takes, whatever it takes to reach people who don't know Jesus yet. We, gotta, we, we have to do whatever it takes. And so I want you to examine your attitude when it comes to changes, when it comes to doing things differently, when it comes to new ideas and new methodologies. I want you to examine your heart. I want you to examine your attitude of what kind of church do you want your church to be? Do you want us to be a church that just kind of stays in a rut and stays in our lane and just does what we've always, do what we always do and, and do what we've always done and, and we're not going to make any changes and we're not going to rock the boat? Is that the kind of church you want? Or do you want to be a church that's on the cutting edge of doing new things to reach new people? That's the kind of church I want to be. It's the kind of church I want us to be. And so I have some questions for you. The first one is this. Uh, are you embracing the new or are you holding out hope that the elders will fire all the staff so we can quit doing new things um, and we can go back to doing things the way that we used to do them? Is that the hope that you're holding out? That eventually we're going to come to our senses and realize that the old ways were better we should go back to doing that? Question two, are you embracing the new? Are you more concerned about your own level of feeling safe and comfortable than you are about where lost people spend eternity? Are you more concerned about being comfortable and safe in your little pew, 
in your little row of chairs and surrounded by the same people all the time and you would rather just, you know, let's just be safe. Let's just have a little Christian club where we can all come and just feel good about ourselves instead of reaching new people. Are you more satisfied with that than you are with reaching the new folks who don't know Jesus yet? Because I have some, I'm going to say something mean to you now, okay? Uh, if you are more concerned about your own preferences and your own comfort than you are about where lost people spend eternity, then you are a selfish Christian. If you are more concerned about your own level of comfort and your own traditions and your own preferences and your own opinions, if you are more concerned about that than you are where people spend eternity, then you are a selfish Christian. When we say, when we say that we uh, would rather have it our way, when we say that we are more concerned with about having things our way and having our opinions and having our preferences met and, our, and, and, and the things that we want, when, it's more, when our wants and our desires are more important than lost people, then we are, we are literally saying to hell with you. If it has to be my way, and if I have to be comfortable, and if I have to feel safe in my little row, and if I have to feel safe in my little church, and I don't want to try new things, and I don't want to reach new people, then, 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 then we're saying to hell with you. And I know that doesn't sound very nice. But the truth isn't always nice. So as a church, what do we do? What are we going to do? Uh, folks, let me, let me just, let's be real, okay? Let me just be real with you for a second. You're going to heaven. <laughs> you who know Jesus, you're going to heaven. You, you love Jesus, he loves you, and you're going to go to heaven someday. My question for you is this. What about those who aren't? Are you more concerned with your own preferences and opinions and personal comfort than you are concerned about those who don't know Christ yet? Because I believe this, that as a church, GFCC is committed to doing whatever it takes, short of watering down the gospel and sinning, to reach people around us who are destined for an eternity separated from God. That as a church, we will do whatever it takes, short of watering down the gospel and short of sinning, to reach people who are far from God. We'll do whatever it takes. Car shows, great. Daddy-daughter dance, doing it later this year. Going to, I, can, did, have you heard about what I'm going to do in a couple weeks? Have you heard this? Oh, oh you're going to love this. What am I going to do? I'm going to lead a faith discussion at Pacro Brewery. Did you hear about that? I'm going to go to the brewery down here, and I'm going to sit down and talk to people about Jesus. I'm going to lead a, I'm going to preach, preach a sermon about why should we believe in anything, and why should we believe in God, and then we're going to have a discussion about it. We're just going to talk about it with you know, and, and you may be thinking to yourself, well, that sounds awful. How could you step foot in a brewery? How could you do this and how could you do that? And you're thinking to yourself, that is the worst idea I've ever heard. And you want to know what I think? I won't tell you what I think. <laughs> I won't tell you what I think about your opinion, but I'll tell you what I think about, I'll tell you what I think about Jesus. I think Jesus would do it. Because what I read about him hanging out with Matthew and his tax collector friends, I think that's exactly where he'd be. 
Oh, he'd be here on a Sunday morning to worship his Heavenly Father. But the rest of the week, he would be meeting people right where they are. He wouldn't be waiting for people to come to him. He would be going to them. And so on Wednesday, July 19th at 6.30, I'm going to lead a faith discussion at Pacra Brewery with my friends Robin and, and Joe. Because I want to reach people who may not know Jesus yet. And so here's my invitation to you. Pray. I don't want you there. You know Jesus. <laughs> I mean, you can come support me if you want, but I want people who don't know Jesus to come and sit down and, and talk about God and faith and stuff. So pray for me. Please pray for me because I'm terrified. I'll be honest, I am. That's what we have to do, folks. We got to go where place, to places where no one else is going. We have to reach people that no one else is reaching. If we're going to be a church that is committed to doing what God wants us to do, if we're going to be a church that is committed to, to, to reaching people for Jesus Christ, then we've got to do things that no one else is doing. And that's hard. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not easy. The easy way is to do things the way we've always done them. It's familiar. It feels good. It makes us feel good. It's not scary. Because the scary thing about changes and the scary thing about doing different things makes people go, well, well, what if, what if somebody gets upset when we do that? And they leave. And that is sad. And, and that is hard. But what if the change we make brings in 50 new people who don't know Jesus yet? What if it brings in 100 new people who don't know Jesus yet? What if the change we make, what if the changes we make leave a legacy of faith in Northwest Indiana? Because I want you to think about that word for just a minute. This word, legacy. Where will you be 20 years from now? Reality check, some of you won't be here. I may not be here. Where will you be 50 years from now? Most of us won't be here. A <laughs> hundred years from now, none of us will be here. But will there still be a presence of faith in this community? If there is to be a presence of faith in this community, if there is to be a thriving GFCC in Northwest Indiana, if there's to be a thriving community of faith meeting here or wherever we meet, if there's going to be, it requires that we commit ourselves to leaving that legacy. It requires that we do whatever it takes to reach the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. It requires, it requires that we say we will embrace the new and we will do new things to reach new people. So that 20 years from now, they look back. In 2037, they look back and say, those folks in 2017, they took a risk. And they tried new things. And they did new methodologies. And they did new methods. And I'm telling you right now, the, the, the message isn't going to change. We're still going to preach from the Bible every week. We're still going to take communion and baptize people. We're still going to worship God and praise Jesus. But we're going to, anything short of that, we're going to do whatever it takes to reach people who don't know Christ. And, and this is my commitment to you that I will keep pushing on this and I will keep harping on this and we will keep pushing forward and we will keep pressing onward to reach those people who don't know Jesus. So that 20 years from now, in 2037, they're like, those guys, they really took a risk and they did new things and we are a strong, growing, thriving congregation because of what they did. And 2000, 
67, 50 years from now, they're going to look back at us and go, man, those folks in 2017, they did it. And we are standing on their shoulders. And though hardly any of them around anymore, we owe them a great debt of gratitude because they left a legacy. They weren't afraid to change. And they weren't afraid to make it, to try new things. And 100 years from now, in 2117, if the Lord should tarry, if Jesus doesn't come back, they're going to look back 100 years later and they're going to say, you know what, those guys, they did it. And we are still here today and we are still a growing, thriving congregation because that church, our church, us, said we will do whatever it takes to make a difference and to change lives for the glory of God here in Griffith and in Highland and in Sherrillville and in St. John and in Gary and in East Chicago and in Hammond and in Griffith and anywhere else in between. We are going to do whatever it takes to reach the people in our community. We're going to do whatever it takes to reach the people of Northwest Indiana because this is what God is calling us to do. This is the vision that he has laid on our hearts to reach the people who don't know Jesus yet. And I'm going to warn you right now. It may mean, it may mean making some big changes. It may mean you having to move out of your seat to the other side of the room. <laughs> Not that. Anything but that. That is borderline blasphemy. It may mean that people show up that you don't like. That for some reason that you just don't like the way they look or the where they live or the car they drive or the house they live in. It may mean that people show up that have long hair or no hair or green hair or purple hair or 4,000 piercings in their face. I don't care what they look like. I don't care where they live. I don't care what they smell like. I don't care what they look like. I don't care what kind of car they drive. My only concern is do they know that Jesus Christ died for their sins and if not, you're welcome here. So we're going to do it. We're going to make some changes. We're going to try new things. As long as they don't have cream cheese, we'll be fine. <laughs> Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I do thank you for that you are the God of the new. That you are the God who does new things. And you are challenging us today to try new things to reach new people. Lord, it is so easy to get stuck in a rut and to stay in a, in a lane and, and just to be very satisfied, very content where, where, where we are. But God, I believe that you are out front leading us to something new. So help us to drink of the new wine. Help us to be the new garment. Help us to be uh, filled with the new things of you that we might reach people who don't know you yet. Because God, we want to, we're concerned and, and we're, we're, we're passionate about those who don't know Jesus yet. And we want to reach them so that they can experience what unconditional love feels like. What forgiveness feels like. What hope feels like. What joy feels like. What peace feels like. Because these are the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. So help us, God, to stand up together, to stand firm together, to work together, to try new things, to reach new people so that we will leave a legacy of faith behind. 
thank you for Jesus, the one who does new things. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.